You're listening to Grace Matters, conversations establishing believers in the truth. We're already halfway through the year, and here we are with our first Grace Matters panel. We hope that you enjoy listening in on this great conversation about life after Roe. All right, folks, welcome to Grace Matters, conversations uh, encouraging believers and establishing them in the truth. So we have, it's been a while since we've had time for a Grace Matters, and if I had an intern or another staff person to do other things, this would be a more ongoing podcast. You would see more episodes. Uh, But for now, we're still sticking to fifth Sundays as they occur throughout the calendar year. So our next Grace Matters will be in October, uh, or potentially that first Sunday in November, because the last Sunday in October is Halloween and candy and all those things. So we're probably going to punt that one to the first Sunday of November. So mark your calendars now for that conversation. We'll actually have Mike Sowers back with us uh, for that one. That will be a conversation about who is our neighbor. We've done uh, some demographic study on an interesting shape of where our church people live to find out who our neighbors are. And we'll talk about that in November. We'll actually tease a little bit of that in just a few moments, too. Uh, but my name is David. Uh, I serve as creative arts pastor here, and I'm going to moderate this evening. Um, to my left and to your right is first uh, Mike Sowers, who is a great commission catalyst for the North Carolina Baptist State Convention. Now, I've known Mike for a long time in different capacities. Uh, I knew him when we were at Campbell, overlapping at times. Uh, I knew him when he worked for the state convention before, and then I knew him even better as he served as pastor at First Baptist in Bowie's Creek for a few years, and now he is back with the state convention Uh, at the invitation of uh, Todd Unsker, to be a great commission catalyst, meaning he has a region of pastors and churches that he's responsible for giving them a kick in the pants uh, to get to the work of the Great Commission, uh, to help them, to catalyze things happening in their communities. And so I'm glad to have Mike here and his perspective, and we'll we'll tease some of that out in just a little bit. Uh, Neil Manning is one of our elders, uh, and Neil has adopted and is intimately thus familiar with some of the issues that we'll be talking about tonight. We're grateful for Neil's wisdom and his uh, kind of overarching vision for Grace Matters as well. And then last but not least is Tanya Baker-Nelson, who is CEO for Hand of Hope Pregnancy Resource Center. Uh, We actually, one of our first conversations that we had as as Grace Matters uh, was with Tanya. Neil and Tanya and somebody else were, they recorded and captured a lunch meeting. Um, And it was a really cool conversation to kind of see where we could go with these conversations. And so we're grateful to have Tanya again, uh, and certainly for such a timely conversation. Uh, If you would, pray with me, and then we'll jump to it. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to have this particular conversation. Uh, Some of us may have seen this coming, some of us probably didn't. because of the tumultuous nature of our culture, and even the victory, as it were, um, that we've experienced thus far is not a sure thing. There are always changes. There are always things happening, certainly every November when elections occur. And so I pray that you would give us wisdom in navigating these specific days, but also the days to come in the next few months, in the next few years. Uh, Because all the decisions that are made at those levels have impact on our communities. 
So give us as a church wisdom and insight, and give us as individuals uh, wisdom and our relationships. We pray that this time would be equipping for us in both those ways, as a church and as individuals. Uh, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So I do want to point out uh, just a couple things that you can see on the screen. I had Josh uh, helping with some of these things. So tonight we're talking about life after Roe versus Wade. There's a pun there. Some of you may have gotten it. Life after. Anyways, uh, so if you notice as well on the other screens, we have Slido as an opportunity for us to engage a little bit. So I'm going to post a couple of polls as we're talking that you can respond to using your phone, or you can uh, ask any questions that you might have of our panelists, and we'll have about 10 minutes at the end uh, to get at any of those questions. And I'll be moderating those. I can see those as they come in. So if you have any questions, begin to think about those. Go to slido.com and you can, you can put those in. Uh, or you can participate in the polls that we'll have in just a moment. So speaking of life, uh, here is a really interesting snippet of what we'll talk about more in November. One of the things that we found in our demographic data, and this is a little tiny, this is, I tried to put it on the big screen to help, but it's still a little tiny, so I'm going to read it to you. But uh, we did this study area, so Mike helped with this because the Baptist State Convention has a resource of uh, showing us these demographics. In the study area that includes the neighborhoods that our church families live in, people responded, I believe abortion should become illegal. 48% strongly disagreed that abortion should become illegal. Only 11% of our neighbors strongly agree that abortion should become illegal. And there's another question. There's a bunch of questions. The next one was fun, too. America has a moral responsibility to be a force for good in the world. That's a very controversial question. But then looking at the national average for that same first question, I believe abortion should become illegal. Uh, in the study area, 20% agree that abortion should become illegal. The national average is 26%. So our neighbors are even less likely to agree that abortion should be illegal. So just a, just a teaser for what we'll talk about more in November, because there's a whole bunch more interesting data about our neighbors. Uh, but this one really caught my attention and Neil's as well, as we reached out to Tanya to see if she could join us, and then reached out to Mike to round out the panel. So this issue of abortion is not as open and shut as we might like it to be. Even with the victory of the Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade, the popular opinion is what it is. So let's have that in mind as we have this conversation tonight. The things that we talk about, the ways that we equip ourselves and educate ourselves will serve us immediately in how we engage with our actual neighbors who actually hold these beliefs. So we'll keep those things in mind. First off, I want to uh, start the conversation with, with Tanya. Um, being at Hand of Hope Pregnancy Resource Center, if you're not familiar with their Jones Franklin location, it's literally across the street at an angle from the Planned Parenthood location. Um, but they also have a space in Fuquay. So how has it been at Hand of Hope since the ruling? So since the ruling, we've seen more out-of-state women come to North Carolina to secure their abortion. Now, we saw plenty of women from out-of-state prior to Dobbs, but now, so South Carolina has a heartbeat law, 
Um, and that went into effect like fairly recently. Okay. So the heartbeat law in South Carolina is abortion becomes illegal around six weeks when a heartbeat can be detected via ultrasound. Okay. So abortions are illegal in South Carolina after six weeks now. So those women after six weeks are coming to North Carolina for their abortions. Um but again, prior to Dobbs, we saw women from Virginia and Georgia and South Carolina anyway. So a lot of women leave the state that they're in to secure their abortion anyway. So, but now Dobbs has just made it um, illegal in South Carolina. Well, not Dobbs didn't make it illegal, right. illegal, but the South Carolina law made it illegal in um, after six weeks there. So, so that's, we've been busier. That's what I'm wondering. Like, so what? Like, did your staff have a watch party to, like, watch the ruling be read? Or, like, how did you respond so immediately? We, so I followed the um, Supreme Court blog, and I wanted to know when the rulings were coming out. So we thought they were coming out a couple different days, and then they didn't. And then finally they came out the last, because they had actually, the Supreme Court actually released some more opinion dates right. um, in addition to what they had already posted. So that day we were just kind of sitting there going, this is it. Like we could kind of feel it. Yeah. You know, we knew we knew about what time it was going to come down. Um, yeah. So we were, yeah, like little groupies <laughs> listening, watching it. We all had on the news and yeah. everybody's phone and TV and computer just just waiting. So just waiting. you bring up an interesting thing that we need to to kind of clarify. Uh, if any of you have social media, you probably encountered foolishness. Uh, over the last several weeks um, because it's really easy to throw up bumper sticker slogans of any sort on Twitter or on Insta. And so we saw lots of misinformation, especially in the sense of it was an inadequate information. People saying, oh, now someone from South Carolina is going to have to come here to, to take care of their ectopic pregnancy. And like those kinds of, that kind of misinformation of understanding what the laws are what was just crazy, and it still kind of is. So that's interesting to hear of what the law is in South Carolina to know that there's that heartbeat law. What what is the actual law in North Carolina that now makes that now matters more because of the overturning of the federal law? What what are the things that are, we need to know about North Carolina law for abortion? Right. So North Carolina is what's called an informed consent state, which means there are a couple different things that a woman seeking an elective abortion in North Carolina, elective meaning it's optional, it's not medically necessary, which by and large, most abortions are optional. The vast majority of abortions are optional. So in North Carolina, there's a 72-hour reflection period. Okay. So she has to get informed consent on what the abortion procedure itself is. She has to be given medically accurate information about the gestational development of her baby. Um, and then that 72-hour reflection period after she's gotten that informed consent, then she can secure her elective abortion. So in North Carolina... There's that was the email I was reading earlier. Yeah. So there are there are two kind of camps in the pro-life community of when is abortion legal in North Carolina? When is it not legal in North Carolina? Um, 
it would take me quite some time to explain to y'all exactly everything that happened and right. why it's like this. But suffice it to say that in 1973, after Roe was handed down, shortly after that, North Carolina instituted a 20-week ban on abortions in North Carolina. Okay. However, that ban had so many exclusions in the ban that basically abortion is legal up to 40 weeks in North Carolina because of the exclusion principle of, well, Neil is going to say that she didn't want to miss her senior prom, so that put her under mental duress, so therefore then he's going to get Mike to sign off on this with him, and then they're going to perform this abortion. Um, all you got to do really is follow the money. Another conversation, too. Oh, yeah. Um, but so with that, we know for a fact that they are securing abortions in North Carolina after 20 weeks okay. because we've seen them. We, we know right. those children. We've met those children on ultrasounds, and we know their, their parents. So we know that that's happening. So that was in 73. Well, then with informed consent in 2015 that readdressed the 20 week ban again put it like put some really harder um stop gaps on the 20 week ban okay long story short it went um to court again because there was an ultrasound requirement with the informed consent and state supreme court so it's still at the state level at that point um well the last thing just went to the fourth circuit of the federal court okay um just like in 2019 and then recently, just after Dobbs, some other stuff. Hmm. So the ultrasound requirement with North Carolina informed consent, NARAL Planned Parenthood, ACLU, sued North Carolina over the ultrasound requirement, saying that it was invasive and that the woman should not be legally required to get an ultrasound. As you can imagine, there is a permanent injunction against the ultrasound requirement of informed consent, which means that is no longer legally required okay. for her to get that ultrasound. She can ask for it, but just like y'all probably have no idea what women's right to know is, she doesn't either. So she doesn't know that she can say to the abortion provider, I want to see my baby and on ultrasound, and the abortion provider is supposed to show that to her. Yeah. She doesn't know that. So along with that injunction piece of the ultrasound, there's a permanent injunction on that piece, then it also brought up the 20-week ban as well. So suffice it to say, fast and loose, like abortions are happening beyond 20 weeks in North Carolina. Yep. Um, so what needs to happen is we've got to go back to um, the legislature yep. and, and do quite a bit more work there. Um, with that to reinstitute some things. So it is a, that's kind of like a sobering reminder. You know, the tempers are celebrations. It should temper your, your tweets about Roe versus Wade because the work is far from finished, as it were. Um, if we intend to see these things happen in our legislation, then we got to we got to do something about it. We have to actually vote appropriately, talk about it amongst our um, our friends, our families, and then actually engage with uh, state-level uh, politics, which for some folks is even harder than voting for the federal-level politics. Like, i got to study up on who to vote for for the federal stuff. Like, that's so much work. And now we're talking about studying who to vote for at state level. Like, I don't even know these people. But these people can have a direct impact on 
how life is being treated. So uh, let that sober you up from all the sugar that we've eaten so far. Um, Mike, as you've been traveling in your new role as a Great Commission Catalyst and engaging with pastors all over our region and, and slightly you know, up to Raleigh, down to Fayetteville, um, what, are, what are other pastors and churches, how do they feel? What are they talking about? What are, what are things that you found that have been encouraging um, as you've been engaging with other pastors? Yeah, so um, my, my region kind of runs uh, Virginia line north of Durham down to Wilmington to the South Carolina line. So we have a, have a pretty, I think there's um, last count 1,400 churches in that area. So um, w- one of the things that we wanted to do, and th- I'm going to roundabout answer your question, David. Sure. Uh, one of the things we wanted to do That's your prerogative. St- you got <laughs> from the state convention level was look at this um, – even before the decision came down of how do we think about this in a way to support and to resource the local church, because there's a big information uh, push out there that Christians only care about uh, birth. They don't care about life. And um, that's that's a real uh, sentiment that's out there. And, um, and I really see this more of as a image of God issue that we're all made in the image of God. And if we value people, we'll value them. And, and Christians for the most part have reflected that over our history. I mean, most of our hospitals, I mean, there, there is a care level, uh, children's homes across our country are predominantly, um, you know, Christian based. And so, the, the the idea that we're only pro-birth um, is, I think, unfair. and um, But we wanted to be proactive. So the Lord really blessed the Baptist State Convention and the churches that make up the Baptist State Convention over the last year. And so there was extra money that was left that we didn't spend um, in a, of our cooperative program money. So we, we did three things that have become a resource for churches. And this will get back to answering the question because what we're trying to do as a state convention level is to look at our churches and say, based on where we are, how do we see the opportunity to share the gospel um, in this situation we're in, regardless of where that situation is now or where it gets to? You know, North Carolina... If you if you look at a map of the South, and there's plenty of these resources online, you can look at them. If you look at the least restrictive states in the South, North Carolina um, is the least restrictive, really, for abortion. So we will be continually become a place where, uh, and I mean the South, I'm talking about the South and the Deep South. So there's there's a lot of gulf between that. Obviously, when you go to the Northeast or the Northwest, those states become uh, more or less restrictive than even North Carolina. However, three things that we've done at the state convention level that we we wanted to help and encourage churches to be on mission when it comes to life issues. One. Uh, we we invest. We've always had our partnership with the Baptist Children's Home of North Carolina. Baptist Children's Home of North Carolina has primarily been historically a residential place for children to come and to get 
that come out of tough situations, tough home situations, sometimes out of the fostering situation, and they will stay residentially on our campuses that are located across the state of North Carolina. Um, we, the, the Baptist Children's Home has been working on, I've been working on this for a while. We, we have, as a state convention, have now invested heavily into it. Matter of fact, they're moving some of their offices into the state convention offices in Cary, and that is to really ramp up what we do with um, foster care and adoption. And one of, one of the things that we're doing is the Baptist Children's Home now has the ability to be able to come to any church to work with our churches to train, to equip, and to license families to be foster families uh, in the state of North Carolina. And so we can do that. Also, um, the Baptist Children's Home in North Carolina can help you uh, go through the adoption process as well. Um, not, not simply foster to adopt, but the entire adoption process to make that available so that churches can become places where people who are looking for an alternative um, can come and find a, a life-honoring image of God, elevating uh, ministry uh, to the community uh, through fostering, through adoption, and, and to be able to do that. And we're resourcing that with not just with children's home regular budget, but excess money that has come in that we just feel like that is a great commission issue. It is a, it is a, it is a gospel issue to do that. Um, we'll, we'll, we can talk a little more about what that process looks like. And also left a, a brochures up here. Um, Mark Smith, who heads that up, the Baptist Children's Home has dedicated an entire department to that now. We have trainers that are on staff um, and they they, you know, Mark can come and, and share more even about that. The next thing we did is we took some of the excess resources and additional resources and uh, working with the Psalm 139 project and the ERLC, we've been able now to buy two um, uh, ultrasound um, machines that we are putting in um, places in North Carolina that are under-resourced. So we, we put the first one up in the mountains in, uh, in Franklin, and then the, the, the one just got put in a few weeks ago down in Elizabeth City. And the idea is that hopefully during that 72-hour waiting period that our crisis pregnancy centers, our crisis uh, pregnancy care centers will have a resource where mothers will be able to go and to get the all the information that they need and to be able to have a place where they can get um, an ultrasound and to be able to actually see their baby. The first day that the machine got put in up in the mountains, a, a, an expected mom came there to find information about abortion and adoption um, because she didn't want the baby. She was the first patient with that machine she went in, saw the ultrasound, and has decided to keep her baby and raise the child. Um, so uh, that's that's another tool that that we want to make available. Also, uh, part of my conversation with churches, and we're seeing this. This is so that was the long prelude to answer your question, Dave. Gotcha. <laughs> um, I am encouraged because we're seeing a lot of churches 
who kind of stayed on the sidelines and are now engaging full force into how do we help moms instead of just saying don't have an abortion um there how do we create um you know resources with with diapers with cribs with uh, families that will come alongside you and help you um just really be in the church in the community so that when people find themselves in a situation a, a mom who's pregnant and and really doesn't know what the options are that the church becomes a place not only where they can go but that they can go and be loved be taken care of and that they can truly find a place where they're going to not just be told you need to raise this child but we're going to come as a community of believers and help you in that process um, to be the great commission, uh, to, to be the hands and feet of Christ um, to that family and to that mom. And so um, we just, uh, because the reality is, and this is just kind of a, the, the harsh reality, and I just heard a story a, a two weeks ago of a, of a pastor's daughter who became pregnant, didn't know what to do, was looking for options. And, 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 you know, if the church can't be a place of grace and can't be a place where we value human life so much so that, that never should we uh, not be a place where we not only accept, uh, offer grace, but, but also help raise that that child to help that mother make what we believe is the God honoring decision uh, of raising that child. And so uh, I'm seeing that more and more. Hmm. We're trying everything we can do at the state convention to help churches to have the resources that they need to be a place in the community that people look to and say, they, they really do care about life. And so that's, that's, a little more other yeah. stuff that we're doing, but that's a, a big part of it. No, that's encouraging. So how often does Hand of Hope provide the um, uh, ultrasound servicing? Like, is that all the time? Is that? All day, every day. Wow. Yeah. it's We're busy. We're on the short list to get one of those ultrasound okay. machines. Oh, too. cool. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really good. Yeah. All the, yeah. Ultrasounds, that's the a key component of what we yeah. do. Of what we do. Mm-hmm. And it's free. So, I mean, free speaks volumes to yeah, somebody who's in, like, you know, money is like the great leveler of yeah. all of us, you know. Um, rich girls get pregnant, poor girls get pregnant. So, yep. Yep. And, and if I could just jump in just and ask um, for a reminder for those of us who may not be as familiar with Hand of Hope, um, at what stages and who in the pregnancy, the mother and the child, do you uh, care for? Is it just before birth? Is it after birth also? What, what are the functions that you, you provide? So, we, so our, our medical services are completely free, totally confidential, and we'll do that all the way through the pregnancy. We actually have something, y'all don't tell anybody, but we're kind of working with visits for us. Um, OBGYNs to come in and start doing some free prenatal visits for us. That's awesome. Um, in Fuquay, yeah, in, in the Fuquay Center. Okay. Um, just right now. So, um, but yeah, the the medical services are anytime because she doesn't know exactly 
what she's going to do. And I just told you that she could have an abortion into her third trimester if she wants to. Um, and then if she chooses to parent, then she can enroll in our, our mentoring program. So the mom and the dad, we really tried to get both of them connected um, to do a lot of what Mike was saying. Like you, It is definitely the Great Commission. It's a gospel-centered approach to loving on parents who are parents and not necessarily wanting to be. So we essentially mentor them for about three years, so the whole through the whole pregnancy and then until the baby's about two years old. Well, Neil, I uh, appreciate that your family and several other families at our church have demonstrated a commitment to life that's more than just uh, for the preborn. Uh, you guys have adopted. So how might we, and so you've thought about these things, and also as an elder and pastor, so how might we as a church and as individuals be ready to respond theologically to some of these quips that we hear like that, like that you only care about life until they're born? You know, how might we think about how might we think about responding to those popular level critiques that we might hear leveraged? Well, David, first, thanks for raising the question and for allowing me to to be one to address it. I'm certainly not the the only voice here who could. Um, yes, I have thought about it for for quite a while, and even more intensely as this conversation was approaching. Um, so you could say. Grab a Snickers. You're going to be here a while because I've got a few things to say. Uh, you'll have to forgive me if I sound like I'm going to step up on my soapbox and begin preaching. Um, but it is very important not only to our family, but to the, the family of God, the, the, the local church community, and um, the capital C church as well, that the church sorts of have been very active. And when I hear all sorts of criticisms uh, critiques, questions, challenges to um, biblical Christianity's position on life and caring for uh, every image bearer, it, it really gets to me. And it, it really galls me, especially this one saying, oh, you only care until the baby's born and then you don't care for life. There's a lot of assumptions built into that. Um, and, well, let me first, I'll back up and say when, when we think about the state of our society and culture, we look at, say, those uh, statistics that even our neighbors here believe one thing versus another. Um, your mind may be like mine. Mine jumped immediately to the verse that talks about woe to those who call good evil and evil good. Well, I decided to look up that verse and try to get a little more context um, and so bear with me as I just read these four verses, and it's actually from the prophet Isaiah. God speaking through him says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. You, you tell me if that is appropriate and relevant to our conversation. Um, when I think about adoption, abortion, everything that's connected with it, 
I, I think it helps in the conversation if we as Christians keep in mind what it is we're talking about. And abortion, the, the taking of a, a child's life, is nothing short of murder. It's something we may assume here in this conversation, but I think it needs to be said. And it may be shocking and surprising to be that blunt. Now, Mike and Tanya are much sweeter people than I am, and there are different ways of approaching that. But it is a truth that we can't shy away from. And if that stays in the focus of our conversations with people, prayerfully, we can put out for them uh, what God's design is, what his desire is, especially, and what's interesting uh, that we'll talk about more in a few months about these demographics, is those views are coming from people who claim at least some knowledge of God. They believe in some personal being as God. They may or may not be churched, but these are religious people who, uh, who believe that murder of the, the baby in the womb should not be illegal. So when I hear them say, uh, well, we shouldn't make abortion illegal until the church or society does X, Y, and Z. Hmm. It's hard to overstate how many things are wrong with a criticism like that. Um, We don't have all night, so I'm just going to list out a few that come to mind. And um, my comments were actually paralleled, so I, I got help from Stand to Reason is an apologetics ministry, and they have uh, some articles and, and videos that talk about this as well. And I, I thought it was very interesting how lockstep our, th- our thoughts were, so he gave me some, some helpful words that help uh, explain just a few areas of things to, to point out with that particular argument. Number one, it's something called a red herring. It's a logical fallacy yep. that shifts the focus away from the topic at hand and says, well, look over here. I'm going uh, to provide an ultimatum over here, but it ignores the very thing we're talking about. What's well, whataboutism? You know? Yes. That's everybody's favorite online argument. Well, what about this? What and about all of a sudden this? we've left the actual topic of conversation. Yeah. So what about that? Let's talk about that another time, right? Right, yeah. Let's get back to it. So uh, let's just think about, would that work in your own home? If your kids came to you and said, Mom, Dad, I don't think I should have to obey you in cleaning my room or or fill in the blank until you meet my expectations in X, Y, and Z. Is that going to fly? I sure hope not. Um, And (laughs) there's another area. I'll I'll just leave that for later. Uh, If you want to talk to me later, I've got other metaphors that can help explain the point better, but I think you get it. Uh, And often those arguments for um, what they want to see done for the child later in life are are based on subjective standards rather than objective standards, and they are more policy uh, opinions rather than demonstrations of uh, the love of God. So they have an idea of what you should do, but no one says that that, that, you, that person's idea is right or good or the standard. So there's many problems with that as a red herring. It's also ad hominem. So if we got any logicians in here, logic people, we're going through some, some logic fallacies. You got the red herring that shifts the focus and then ad hominem is the attack on the person. Well, you don't have the right to oppose abortion until dot, dot, dot. 
have, have you adopted? Have you fostered? Have you done these things? Well, then you can't, as, are you a man? Then you don't have a say in, in abortion or anything like that. That has nothing to do with the merits of the morality of the question at hand. We see this often in the center because a lot of, a lot of times it's, the argument becomes deflective. You, you need to deflect away from the, the core issue. And the core issue is that's your child who was growing and ending his or her life is not okay. So, but we tend to do that. I mean, we do that as Christians all the time. We make everything gray instead of black and white. We're always talking about that poor little boy in Africa who's never heard about Jesus, while that poor little boy in your backyard hadn't heard about Jesus either. You know, so it's all about like do what you can do yep. where you are. Stop looking at it as being this great, big, humongous problem, which it is. But you have a role in all of that, and you do have a responsibility, and you can do something about it if you stop making it so deflective. Because, de I mean, we all deflect, you know, yep. deflection. You know, we always go back to, okay, well, let me, let me help you with what I can help you with, what brought you here today. All these other things are spinning out of control in your life, but what brought you here today? And how can I help you with that? Yeah, again, I'll, I'll, I'll save more uh, examples as to why this ad hominem attack is illegitimate. Um, if you want examples to maybe bring up in conversation that you may have, talk to me afterward. Uh, the, or for about this particular criticism of uh, those who are pro-life or, or for life from the Christian worldview, is that it, it really is ignorant and short-sighted. Uh, just like Mike was, was saying earlier, that the church, since its inception, has led the way in caring for people at all stages of life, and especially the young, the, the pre-born and the newly born. It is the first, first century Christians who, who really got under the skin of the Romans because the Roman father had the right, if he wanted a son and he got a daughter, guess what? He could voluntarily lay that infant out in the cold for exposure to die, but it was the Christians who at night, against the law, would go and save those babies and raise them as their own, saving lives. Now, if they, uh, if they had the technology that we have today, they wouldn't be newborns. They would have been aborted by the, by the Father's wishes. But from then forward on to now, the church has led the way in caring for the unborn and the newly born, and even on up to natural death, um, hospitals, um, children's homes, Adoption, foster care, all these things. Are there people other than Christians doing it? Sure. But it's the Christians who are preeminent in doing those things. And um, when we talk about what practically we can do, and I'll again point to one of the uh, speakers at Stand to Reason. He was saying that um, he got asked one time, well, have you adopted? If you haven't adopted, then you don't have a right to, to speak about speak against abortion. We said, well, actually I have. We have two daughters that we, we saved from the abortion mill and we're, we're raising as our children. And did that satisfy the criticizer? No, <laughs> they're never going to be satisfied because it's not it's a speed a, bump. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about answering that question. It's not about the good of the child. It's about being pro legalizing the killing of the baby. And we think about murder as the intentional, unjust killing of someone's life, of someone. And that's what we're facing. 
Um, so where does adoption fit in? I, I, don't, I do not think every family is called to adoption. It is, um, it's challenging emotionally, financially, um, different things. Is everyone called to foster care? I don't think every family can, can do that. Should we support those who, who do it? Absolutely. We got to remember who the church is. Is the church just this individual? No, the, the church is a body with different parts. It's a community with different members. So the church as a whole is caring for people from birth until death at every stage. You may do one thing, he may do another, I'll, I another, and still someone else another part. If we all did the same thing, it's, it's the same argument that Paul used in, in Corinthians. Like, if every, every, everybody was an I, then where's the hearing? Everyone has a role to play, so that means we can all participate in the support of the image bearer at birth, but that doesn't mean we're all doing the same thing. So if you're able to, to foster children, if you're able to adopt, praise God, I encourage you to, to do it if it's what God is calling you to do. If you can't, then that's okay too, but find ways to support those who can, whether it is praying for and supporting the needs of your local resource, uh, pregnancy resource center, if it's uh, supporting that family who is just struggling in their foster care, uh, they just need a night out uh, away from kids or whatever it may be. It could be instead of pushing someone away, opening your door and bringing someone in, a mother or a, a soon-to-be mother who uh, may be struggling, may be tossed out of her family, may be um, with the wrong man. I don't know. Um, there are all sorts of scenarios that you can get into in order to show the love of God to people without it being um, a word game. Just do what the Lord calls you to do, and then the church will be answering, as it always has, to adulthood as well. All to, to care for the unborn, the newborn, and on up to adulthood as well. Well, so the next question I have is, is following after that, and it's for all of us. Um, I just posted the poll you know, for folks in the room to kind of answer. We've got about 15 folks who have answered. Uh, some of us have considered foster care or adoption. At least the thought has crossed our minds. Or some of us maybe haven't thought about it too much before. Um, and, and now, have, having been issued the call in multiple different ways since overturning a Roe versus Wade, where would you recommend we begin to think about foster care or adoption? Where is a starting point for discerning if that's God's call or not? What would you recommend? Yeah, that's a good, uh, good question to bring up when we start thinking about practical things. How do we get started? Um, uh, for us, uh, Myra and I, we actually had conversations about this before getting married. It's, it should be something that is brought up. You have kids in your relationship as a family. Um, maybe you're, you're married and you already have kids, and it's just now becoming a thing for you to think about. Now's the time to start thinking and talking and praying about it. Um, so prayer, certainly go to uh, others within the church that have maybe gone down that road or considered that road for encouragement and wisdom. There may be some things that you hadn't thought about that they can uh, give you light about. And also one of the resources I think you'll, you'll point out uh, later in our conversation, some of the resources that are available to us, uh, one that a book that we read by Russell Moore, Adopted for Life, um, I, I, I was already agreeing to adopt, but after reading that, it, it like hyped me up. It was like I was ready to do 
what God has pictured in his word that he has done for us. Um, so uh, good Christian resources like that okay. uh, from other believers can, can help, um, help you discern whether or not that, that flame of desire help. Because we may all have a desire, but we're not necessarily equipped. So you do need help from your peers, from pastor, your small group maybe, uh, your parents, anybody in your life who has the same worldview who can speak into um, your ability. They may know you in a different way than you know yourself. So get, get into the community and find also resources. Mike, do you have a recommendation for like, if someone was just beginning to think, where would they, what would you recommend? Yeah. So I, I really, um, if you'll, and I, I'm, I'm shamelessly plugging this because <laughs> there is um, there is some good resources. If you'll you'll get one of these brochures, you'll go on the Every Child uh, Baptist Children's Home website and click on um, the Every Child. There are some videos in there, and you hear from me. Um, I always learn best hearing from other people who have kind of been down that journey and that road, and and being able to see those videos of people other other Christians in our state who have gone down that road, maybe uh, you'll hear their story. Um, as Neil alluded to, um, you know, this is not an easy journey. It's not, it's not for everybody. Um, but, but not only considering, am I called to foster, Sarah and I are actually uh, beginning to talk more and more about this right now for us. Sarah as was trained in uh, guardian ad litem, did that for a while here in Harnett County. And, um, but, but maybe um, you may think, well, gosh, I, at this point in my life, cause I don't know that when we had children at home, that would have been probably something I, I don't know. We just don't know. But when you get to the place where you may think I need help with this, Maybe you're sitting here and you can say, you know what, I can provide those things because often fostering care, especially those calls come in the middle of the night. They're, they're, you know, having a church ready. Uh, I was with a church a few weeks ago. They have a foster care ready team that when one of their foster families get the call, they activate a team in the church that gets the crib over there, gets the diapers, gets whatever stage at life they need to. And within 24 hours, that body of believers is like, I mean, they're like, I was in the Coast Guard for five years. Like they're, the, 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 the alarm goes off and they pull into action. And so it may be that your role may not be the actual fostering family at this point, but your role may be as part of an assist or a help in that, uh, and that may help trigger down the road a more uh, a deeper involvement. So, okay. and we have resource. There, there's lots of resources on the Baptist Children's Home website under Every Child that will help. There's 16,000 children right now in North Carolina in the foster system, um, and that seems like a lot. But if you think there are 4,300 just North Carolina Baptist churches, I mean, that, that, that's doable, right? I mean, it's not. So anyway. Yeah. So my question for you, Tanya, is kind of the backside of this question. If someone comes to Hand of Hope and they decide after ultrasound, they don't have the resources to, to raise the baby, but they are willing to uh, go through the adoption process, how do you how do you guys what do you recommend? How do you get a mother to that next step? How does that work for y'all? 
So we present adoption in as part of our abortion education conversation because we present it as parenting through adoption. So she knows that she has three choices to make. She can have an abortion because it is legal still in North Carolina. Um, she can parent or she can parent through adoption. So words are very, 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 very powerful. Hmm. Words mean things. Um, so if I could challenge y'all to begin to change your language a little bit about adoption because when you say when an adoptive child hears oh her mom gave her up for adoption just the connotation of gave her up it can yeah. be very hurtful to mm. a child um so we always say place for adoption okay so place for adoption there are 3000 children in the North Carolina foster care system right now who are free and clear to be adopted Go get one of them. <laughs> I mean, just this, if that's y'all, that's y'all doing all that. Yeah. I want to know who the 75% are because <laughs> I'm going to like go straight to you and say, go get that baby. <laughs> go get that 14 year old. Mm. Go, go get him. What if that was you? The golden rule applies. You know, what, what if that was you? Um, maybe it's because I'm the only woman on the panel. Uh, our adoption conversation was, um, hey, will you take my grandson? And the answer was yes, and we got him a little bit later. You know, so we honestly, truly didn't pray about it at all. But that's just, Barbara, tell him how, like, <laughs> jump, I'm jumping in the deep end at all times. So yeah. um, that might be your personality. That's my personality or whatever. I think they're out there, so why wouldn't you go get them? Yep. Especially if you if it's something like that, like that's what you get a phone call. I came home from the center early one day. My husband said, what are you doing here? Because I never come home early. And I said, that baby's coming today. And he was like, <laughs> what baby? <laughs> I was like, you remember I told you, like I told you, like she called and said, will you take my grandson? And he's in in our defense. We ha we were only going to keep him for about two weeks to keep him out of foster care. I was trying, you know, trying to be the church, keep him out of foster right. care, which I want to find out more about your thing with the um, NC Baptist. And so obviously that didn't pan out like that because he's six now. So <laughs> so it's it, it happens when you my, my point to all that, I think I think there is a deeper spiritual issue that's going on in our own personal lives. In our own personal lives, when you get to the point where you say, God, here I am, you might not have any idea of what he's going to ask you to do yeah. tomorrow, next year, 10 years from now. You have to always, always, always Humbly submit yourself before the Lord. So when you get a phone call that says, will you take my grandson? Or somebody says, go get that foster child. You don't have to pray about it. You've been praying about it. You've mm. been doing it. So that your yes can be yes. And it ain't easy. But, I mean, nothing worth having is easy. Yep. I'm going to go ahead and pull out your heartstrings a little bit and add a personal voice to, to everything Tanya's saying. So I don't know how often you get to hear maybe from the mothers or, or children years after um, 
the work that you do with them. But our son, whom we adopted, um, he's still, still fairly young. Most of you know him. And, uh, but we don't shy away from, from these conversations. So he'll listen in when I'm listening to podcasts or we're having conversations about adoption or about abortion, especially with the, the Dobbs ruling that came out recently. And, and he, he gets it. He, he listens in and he said, wait, what? Why, why would moms kill their babies? And then we said, well, that's, that's what abortion is and it's legal here. And he's, and, but then he would say, I'm glad I wasn't aborted. And I don't know if you heard this, but one of the, the pro-abortion lobbyist speakers in front of a crowd and microphone said, I would rather have an abortion than let a brown child be placed with a white evangelical family. Who was that? I, I don't recall the name. Let's, let's, I can, let's figure I'll, it out. I'll yeah. get it for you. <laughs> it's on the internet somewhere, I'm sure. But my son would say, after he says, I'm glad I wasn't aborted, he would say, I'm also glad I was adopted because he has a family who loves him and he knows, he knows he's got in essence two families, but he's also been, we tell him we adopted you because we've been adopted by God and that's what God put on our hearts. Hmm. Well, we can go ahead and pivot for this last little bit to our question and answer time. So if you've not had a chance yet to go on Slido and submit your question, we do have a few here that I'll start to roll through. Um, the, uh, there's a couple for you, Tanya. One of them is, um, what requirements or training are necessary if somebody wanted to serve as a mentor at Hand of Hope or get involved with volunteering at Hand of Hope? What's the way to get that rolling? So we vet our volunteers pretty heavily. Got to make sure you're not crazy. Right. <laughs> so make sure you're legitimately a Christian, first of all. Make sure you're legitimately pro-life, um, secondly, because I think you alluded to this, or maybe you did, like there are a lot of Christians who are okay with abortion, um, conditionally pro-life. We are not because we believe in the, in the sanctity of every single human life, and God does not make mistakes. And that's... Um, we earned the right to be heard so she can hear that. Um, so you would just apply. You would go to um, whichever center is closer to you, which y'all would be Fuquay, um, and then just get in touch with your center director there, and she can set up a tour. And the mentoring piece is where a lot of the nitty-gritty happens um, because she will choose to parent through adoption in because it's not like she's going to come in the first time and – you know, we she leaves the abortion clinic and comes to us and then says, oh, I'm going to place my baby for adoption in 45 minutes. That That's not really reality. So she chooses life. It takes her a number of days to choose life over and over and over again. So in the course of the mentoring, then we would encourage her to, to parent through adoption and just lay out all that for her a lot of times what we like to do is we like to use personal stories here talk to this woman like she placed her baby for adoption here talk to this guy he adopted his youngest son here talk to um this child she was adopted like let them like your your story has power your story has a lot of power it really 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 does um, it might seem might not seem like it, but it truly does, because your story is your testimony, and if your testimony is focused on Jesus, then that's powerful. Yeah. 
Where, which local organizations do you guys refer a mother to if she chooses to parent through adoption? So we, we work with Amazing Grace. We work with Lifeline. Um, right now, there are only two okay. um, that we were, we were because we only do traditional marriage. Um, so that's what we would refer to. So Amazing Grace and Lifeline are our okay. two right now. Mm-hmm. What about, um, are there ever times where mothers who are considering adoption, uh, if they want to talk to parents or children who have been in that process before, um, do you guys reach outside are there other, is there some resource that you use for that to like help them have exposure to and conversations with people? Who've yes, done it? yes. So there, that would be instances where there there wouldn't be any training involved with that. And that would just be people that we would know that we would feel comfortable picking up the phone and calling and say, "Hey, cool. There's this girl over here. Would you talk to her? Or hey, there's this guy over here. Because a lot of times the dads are the hardest sell. Yeah. You know, moms, they're kind of understanding it. But dads, you know, sometimes they step up to the plate and sometimes they don't step up to the plate. So as as quickly as we can get an adoptive mom and an adoptive dad in front of both of them to have a conversation, um, we want to do that. But to go back, yes, to to do the mentoring with the girls, that's a lot of training, too. So, yeah, there's a significant amount of training that goes along with that. If somebody wanted to be just a resource for those conversations, I could just shoot a note to the director in Pukeway and say, hey, yep. I'm available if someone is wanting to have that conversation. Yes, that absolutely. Cool. Because a lot of times that's going to happen outside of the center. Right. Might just be like, hey, let's go to coffee. Yep. You know, we would be a, a point person so she doesn't feel like, whoa, you know, yeah, who yeah. is this? Yeah. So just, uh, just tell your story. That's what yeah. I mean. Just tell your story. How rare is it or how often do you see – the birth father maybe come in with the mother who's considering these things. We see a lot of dads. We see an awful lot of dads. Um, recently, since Dobbs, what we have seen is we have seen more men call to make appointments than the women, which is a little bit unusual for us. Um, normally, the women are the ones making the appointments. So, but we've had a lot of men calling to make the appointments. Hmm. Yeah, we see a lot of guys. Has that changed any in the last several weeks? Just with the guys calling to make the appointments, that right. has changed a little bit. Huh. But it, it'd be interesting to know if that trend continues. Because here's the thing, there are so many, just like you alluded to this about ectopic pregnancy and miscarriage, that's yep. all just complete nonsense. That's right. not what it means at all. Um but the media has just created this um, narrative around abortion. So now everybody thinks abortion's totally illegal all across the United States, right. which is just not true at all. Right. Um, because it's going to remain legal in North Carolina, in my opinion, for quite some time. Potentially, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So um, North Carolina will become an abortion haven. I mean, it, it already has. Like, like we knew that. It, it already has. We should have had our heartbeat law in effect when we held the supermajority to, like, ever how long ago when right. we held the House and the Senate in North yep. Carolina. We should have already done that about six, seven years ago. That should yep. have already been done. 
but I digress. So, so I gave Neil a chance to answer this one, but Mike or Tanya, what do y'all recommend for nipping that misinformation in the bud? Like how, how can we prepare ourselves for that barrier or at least like subvert it in some, like how do you respond when people are throwing out foolishness? What would you recommend? One of the things I, I just recommend is knowing what all, and it, it, just knowing what Christians are doing. And I mean, from, from everything that Christians are doing to, again, I think this all goes back to an image of God issue. Like when we see that we are made in the image of God, um, I mean, that's the foundation of, of creation. Right. And, um, and look at all the services, the, the, the orphanages, the senior care, the, the food, I mean, even down to food pantries to like overwhelmingly in the United States, like human quality of life, human essential services of life um, overwhelmingly are provided by Christians. And, and just knowing that just, just within our state, all the things that, that churches, Christians do uh, in the area of, I mean, you name it. Um, I think that's important to be able to point out because it's really easy to s- sort of buy into that. And, and, and people do a good job of trying to categorize and go for extremes and finding people that yeah. just like to talk or whatever. Um, but But knowing that and being able to speak to that intelligently and with, with real information, um, you know, it's, it's just so important to be able to counter that with, no, that, that's, you know, that, that's, that's not true that like, like Christians provide and resource and take care of, um, having pastored, uh, in two churches. Um, I can promise you, even in our culture today, most people's first phone call when they need anything is the church. We're not the last phone call. We're not the third phone call. It's the church because they know that the church will do whatever possible to to because that's what we're called to do. And so I would just say, get to know that. And and don't be like, it's not a brag bragging thing. It's just, no, that's just not true. We, we care about people. And um, so it's just, um, and part of it, I, I work for a, the state convention, so I know what so many churches are doing. So I, I know that, that we care for people. Um, so, Anyway, that's that's what yeah. I would say. Do you have anything you recommend yeah, when so those things happen? A couple, yeah, I could go down a couple different trails, but a couple a couple things. First of all, abortion on its face is intended to end a beating heart. It, that's that's the intent of an abortion. The the abortion ends a beating heart. An ectopic pregnancy in the fallopian tubes will not survive. If right. it ruptures, there's a strong possibility that that woman would die. Yep. Okay. In the fallopian tubes, an ectopic pregnancy. A, a procedure to remove an ectopic pregnancy uh, 
and a procedure to remove a miscarried child in which the heart no longer is beating on its face might be the same procedure that an abortion is performed under. However, that miscarried child does not have a heartbeat. So it's semantics. Again, it's deflection. Mm -hmm. It's deflective in nature. Well, you're, they can't get an abortion um, on a miscarriage. Well, that's because a procedure to remove a child who has already died in the womb is not an abortion. It might be technically the same type of procedure. You'll see a lot of very uninformed, woke medical students and nurses and doctors and stuff like that claim that. Um, Again, it's deflective in nature. Let's go back to what we're talking about. And we're talking about a, a living, growing child. Dead things don't grow. Right. So, and when there's something dead in your body, it needs to come out. And sadly, that's your child sometimes. Um, so that is that answers that ectopic miscarriage. Right. Like that's just insane. But people want to argue about this craziness. When I'm doing it, I always go back to foundationally. Foundationally, what do I believe? Foundation, foundationally, what does science teach us? Foundationally, what does truth teach us? Okay. So you go back to that all the time. You always have to have in the back of your mind, in my opinion, is you have to understand how many women and men in the church secure abortions. Right. How many moms and dads in the church are paying for them? You're like at 38, 40% of women in the church who have had an abortion in their past. An elective abortion. Elective, yeah, elective abortion. Claiming to be Christians and not only saying that they're Christians with a saving faith in Jesus Christ, but also that they went to church at least two times in the month that they had their abortion. That's a huge statistic. That's huge. So we all know she did not get pregnant by herself. Right. So where's he? And, I mean, reason would dictate that her parents maybe know. Not always, but maybe they know. Right. My opinion is the Capital C Church has got to be talking about, hey, like we can love people through their sin all we want to, but we're not paying for their abortion. Because if she wants, if that's what she wants to do, then let her go find the money to do that and then still be there. So there's, there really is a fine line of love the sinner, hate the sin. Right. Because especially in a postmodern relative culture that we live in, the church. Yeah. Because the church, the capital C church is very relative. Mm-hmm. Not this church. All the other ones, (laughs) right? But you're very, it's very relative. Right. So you have to manage that message in a way that speaks. So truth without love makes you a bully. And love without truth makes you a doormat. You got to find that balance. Hmm. You have to find that balance. It is perfectly loving for you to say to a woman that you know or that you're probably going to have a conversation with between now and next week because you're here and this is what we're talking about. Abortion is not okay. It's not okay. You can do it because, I mean, you could, you know, go drink and drive if you want to, right? Right. We have free will. You can do it. 
But it's it's not going to be beneficial. It's it's going to be a quick term fix for you, a quick fix. But for it's not sure. consequence free. No, it is like you can you can make your choice, but you don't get to choose your consequences. Right. And so, how do we how do we tailor that message? You know, that's not off putting, but also is not scared to death to tell the truth. Yeah. People, I think, in, in based on what I do for a living, people respond very positively to you when you know what you believe. And you can communicate that in a way so much so that if she does choose abortion, guess who she calls? It ain't the abortion clinic. She didn't even know the abortionist's name. And they didn't even meet him. So she calls us. Yeah. She calls us. So that tells us that we're learned that for the last 17 years, we found that fine line of balance of balancing truth and mercy. We're really big on mercy, really huge on mercy. Yeah. Because we're all sinners. Christians sin too. But ideally, you got somebody to come alongside you and say, girl, you got to straighten that mess up. That's not going to work out. One last little thing for you, Tanya, would be what do you. What would you respond if someone says that, you know, you pro-life folks are against women's health care? How do you respond to that kind of phrase? Oh, that is the oxymoron of our lifetime, women's health care. Abortion is not health care. Right. Abortion is not health care. Here are a few things that I have never heard in the last 17, 18 years of doing this. Um well, I won't say never, but rarely. I'm talking like 1% of the time. Maybe have I ever heard, you can't tell me what to do with my body. I, I, I personally have only heard that like one time. Right. Maybe one time. Um, I've also never heard, I don't regret my abortion. Never heard that. Hmm. Never heard, I don't regret paying for an abortion. Never heard that. So my response to that is, like, well, let's talk about health care is right. your blood pressure. Let's define our terms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's nothing in this because what have we become? We've become a relative society where we want to muddy the water on everything. Yeah. Because what, she, what, you're, what this culture has taught her is that just have this abortion, everything can go back to normal. And that's never going to, that's not ever going to happen because children are not replaceable. So you're always going to be the mother to that child. You're always going to be the father to that child. You're just the one that's choosing if you get to meet that child or not. And so to the church, to the church, women and men who have chosen abortion in the church is we have to do a better job of saying Mercy triumphs over judgment, and there's forgiveness and freedom in abortion. So the the lie, too, that the devil tells you is that, oh, you've had this abortion, you could never tell anybody that. Right. That's a lie. You don't have to, you know, put it in the church bulletin or anything. Right. But you do deserve forgiveness and healing from that because Jesus Christ died for you knowing that you would end your own child's life, and he died for you anyway. You have to you have to bring all that to the table. Yeah, that was sobering for me to to recognize the numbers. I looked at the WHO website recently to look at worldwide numbers, 
And then to have that brought in to these four walls um, it makes it very, very close to home. So the, the WHO says that uh, around 73 million induced abortions take place worldwide each year. So that's six out of 10 all unintended pregnancies and three out of 10 of all pregnancies in an abortion. And then what I heard uh, Tanya saying is, is echoing from this morning's sermon where Pastor Brad was, uh, I think he um, quoted, was it Richard Hayes? Yep. said that it's, it's a lie that the infinite tolerance is love. Yeah. Infinite tolerance is not love. There, there's got to be truth and God bounds. He puts truth as our boundary that we can operate lovingly inside those bounds. If you vacate the premises, then, then you are in the wrong. But if you affirm or ignore or defend that wrong, then you're, that's not loving. And, and I, I was amiss earlier to say that, and, and it just, just hit how closely uh, the, the numbers may be to our, our own congregation. I have, I have no idea. But um, for anyone who has had an abortion or the father who um, maybe pushed his girlfriend or wife or whoever it may be into an abortion or the, the parents who paid for one, Yes, that, that's wrong. We should not be shocked by the truth of what abortion is, that it, it ends a life. What should be shocking to us is that there's forgiveness in Jesus for that. So that all of us who have blood guiltiness on our hands from any number of sins can come to the throne of grace and be forgiven that sin. We should be on our, our faces thanking God for such grand mercy. And if there's anyone who brings upon themselves the name of Christ, who is a Christ follower and who is still either ignoring or excusing or defending these heinous atrocities, I I just call out to you, get on your knees in repentance. Turn away from that and then do the works that are in keeping with that repentance. You've, You've heard many, not only theological, very practical things to, to turn to God. These are things that you can do. You can do them yourselves. You can support those who are doing that. I, I encourage you to, to find that forgiveness and then live like it. Uh, one thing that we've talked about multiple times through the course of uh, Grace Matters conversations is that reminder that uh, the changes that we would hope to see um, happen first uh, as locally as possible. Uh, so in our own families, in our own spheres of influence. And so... Uh, let us love deeply the people that God has given us to love and be responsible for those relationships as much as we can be. Um, and so for me, a very practical way of responding to foolishness as it occurs on the interwebs um, is not to begin a like newsfeed comment battle or a Twitter at reply war, um, but rather to DM somebody and be like, hey, I saw this. I just wanted to clarify something. Or hey, we haven't had coffee in a while. Do you want to hang out? Uh, So that I can, in a more intimate and personal and, you know, you can read body language when we're together type situation, talk through what may have been misinformation that's posted. Um, A lot of times folks that have made the decision to post something that's incendiary um, are preemptively defensive to anything you might say in response. 
And so responding in a public forum may not be the best course of action, unless that just really gets you excited, and then you can go for it. Uh, but otherwise, I would recommend uh, loving people locally uh, in the sphere of influence that God has given you. Um, we do have a few resources we want to recommend. Uh, obviously, there's the pamphlets that Mike brought from the Baptist uh, State Convention. There's three books that are here that we're, we're recommending. Um, one has already had dibs called on it, but the other two, if you would like to take one, just let me know. Um, but there's The Case for Life, uh, Adoptive for Life, and Tearing Us Apart. They're here on the table you can take a look at. But uh, there's a few online resources that we'll make available. When the podcast gets posted, we'll put these links up. Um, and so if you haven't read the Dobbs opinion and you're going to have a conversation with someone about the Dobbs opinion, you should probably read the Dobbs opinion. As, as dense as it might seem to you to read a piece of legal work, I mean, Jim retired to get away from this stuff. But if you wanted to have a conversation with somebody about the Dobbs opinion, at least take a moment to know the language. Uh, so we have a link directly to that. Um, if you need the Cliff's Notes versions, there's a lot of recommended places. One of those would be the Breakpoint podcast. They have uh, reactions in the Roe versus Wade case uh, podcast episode that was great. Um, there's a, a series of um, really interesting debates through the Unbelievable uh, video podcast on YouTube. Uh, they have a conversation about overturning Roe. Is it a victory or a step back? And then uh, there is a Washington Post article we have a link to that debunks the idea that thousands of women died each year before Roe was passed, um, which is one of those misinformation tweets that you might run into. Uh, and then as I mentioned, these three books, um, The Case for Life, Adopted for Life, and Tearing Us Apart, are here you can take a look at. Um, and those uh, you, can, you can have one if you would like it. Um, if you have any further questions, we'll be hanging around a little bit. There's still some sugar to eat, so help us clean that up if you, if you don't mind. Um, but then take a moment to greet uh, Tanya and Mike and engage with them. Um, but let me pray for us, and we can be dismissed. God, we are very grateful again for uh, the truth that we have been made in your image. And we recognize that uh, that is a beautiful thing. It is a responsibility in some ways. Uh, just as you uh, have loved within the Trinity for all eternity, you've invited us into that loving relationship with you and with other people through the work of Christ. And that extends to um, what true religion would look like and love for the orphan and the widow. And in our cultural context, we recognize uh, the unborn as those who are vulnerable and yet bear your image. So we ask for continued wisdom to know what it would mean in our time to live in loving relationship with you and with others. What it would mean to live in a relationship so loving that we would be ready to receive a, a child who needs a home that we will be ready to participate in the care for the fatherless, that we will be ready to uh, grieve with one who has made a decision to end a life. We pray that we would, as Tanya has mentioned, live uh, humbly before you, uh, walking with you in step with the Holy Spirit, uh, prepared for all the good works that you've set up for us to do 
so that we might respond with your energy and do those things. Love those people. Uh, Respond with gospel-shaped grace and mercy. And we do thank you for the opportunity to get together and to spend time together in fellowship. And I pray this would be an edifying conversation for all those who have been a part of it now and who might listen later. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you have any further questions or unresolved things after listening to that conversation, please send an email to gracematters at graceccnc.org. We would love to get you connected to Tanya and Hand of Hope or with Mike and the Baptist Children's Homes or Baptist State Convention if you have anything you would like to follow up on. We're also excited for what God is even now doing in our midst at Grace Community Church as we look forward to the ways we can engage our community and care for those who will be born. Thanks again for listening to Grace Matters, conversations establishing believers in the truth 